Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. We are deep into January now. We've got a great episode with Kelly Stumphauser. I have wanted Kelly on this podcast for years now, basically since I started uh, getting on this. She's been on my list of people I wanted to talk to. I mentioned in the podcast a bunch of times, but almost everybody that I respect very highly in this industry constantly brings up her name as somebody that they respect very highly. I've uh, had to meet her a few times. I had some interactions with her. And she's just always impressive, and she's always a good person. And I met some of her business partners and some masterminds, and they always just say nothing but good things about her. So she has a great reputation, and she is ridiculous successful. I believe she is literally the number one turnkey real estate investor in the entire country. You'll see she has a bunch of other vertical businesses she's built off of that. She's a master of turnkey property management. Uh, she's building a software company out. She's got her education company coming out. She is just a wealth of experience and knowledge coming from somebody who's making $14,000 a year, single mom of three going through a divorce to be where she is today is just something inspiring, not only in the business level, but on the mindset level, discipline, everything you can think of as far as just being a powerful woman, CEO and entrepreneur. She lives it, breathes it, and you will love it and be inspired by it as well as uh, want to take action and do certain things. So follow up with her on the show notes. Uh, definitely follow her journey and link up with her if you're interested in buying any turnkey properties, especially in the Ohio or Midwest areas, uh, she definitely drops a lot of value today on things you should be doing for property management, ways you could start to turn buyers into lenders, which is a really cool thing that she's been doing, and just some lessons that she's learned from bumps and bruises that you guys don't have to take. So I really appreciate her coming on and sharing stuff. Huge, huge fan of Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And she's also launching her real estate education business as well. I will have a link up there in the show notes. And if it's not, up on Monday when you guys listen to this. It will be up there by like late day Monday, maybe Tuesday latest. She's just uh, adjusting a couple of things on there, but it will be up. So if you check today and it's not there, please check back or just uh, reach out to her on Instagram or on any of the social media. And again, you can always follow me, all of my social media handles as well as all the ways to connect and subscribe to this podcast, which I really hope you do are on nicknicknick.com slash links. As usual, this podcast is sponsored in part by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you are looking for funding for your deals, whether you're new experience or advanced, if you have good credit, bad credit, no money, a bunch of money, whatever the situation is, if you're looking to get started or you're looking to scale and get better rates and terms for your business, definitely reach out to Marianne Nationwide Business Capital Group on nicknick.com slash links. You will see under our affiliates that you can reach out to her directly. Just tell her the A-game podcast sent you over and tell her you want some money and she will hook you up. While you're there, check out Naked Warrior Recovery CBD, put in promo code again to get 20% off. And if you're or is there, and if you're looking to get some VAs for your business, you can definitely check out Real Global. Their link is on there as well. Get a conversation going to see if it's a right fit for you to get your time back and start to speed up your business. So a couple of really cool things there. And again, last but certainly not least, if you are looking to get a free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers, whether you're a real estate agent, wholesaler, or broker, go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets. Now, the big thing here, the whole point of this podcast is try to connect with more of you guys and do some real estate together. So whether you are just looking for your first property to get in, or you have a bunch of properties and you're just looking for more or different, maybe you've done some single family stuff and you're looking to scale up into some small to mid-sized multifamily or mobile home parks, reach out to me. I will get back to you if you text me at 516-540-5733. I do apologize. If you have reached out to me in the past on any of the social media, multiple different emails, it's just been so much to catch up on. I'm doing my best, but this is the most direct way to get me now. So if you have, please, you're not bothering me, do it again. And let's figure out how, if you want to buy properties from me, I can figure out what you want and get them to you. If you would like to sell investment properties to me, we can do that. Or if you just want to have a conversation and see how maybe we can partner together, work together, I am all in. So give me a text, 516-540-5733. Please listen, share, and subscribe to the A-Game Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest or booking me as a guest in your podcast, 
or you have some great guest ideas, please reach out to me. You can always email me as well, podcast.nignitic.com. So no excuse not to get in touch with me. Hope everybody's having a great January. I appreciate everybody listening, sharing, and subscribing. Please reach out on the Facebook group and let me know any guests you might want to have or any questions you have, and I am happy to address them and give you all the answers that I can from the experience I have or any of the guests that have been on or are coming on. Appreciate it very much. All the links are at nignitic.com slash links. Have a great day. Thank you again. I cannot say enough great things about what a big plan and that kind of stuff does. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, everybody. All right. My guest today on the A-Game podcast is a former pharmaceutical sales rep turned entrepreneur, real estate investor in 2002. She's the owner of Prosper Investments and also owns Keller William Greater Metro Property Management. She has closed over 800 deals and on track to close over 200 in one calendar year. She owns several hundred units, including 300 that she has done in under 12 months. She's a proud mother of three and still finds the time to successfully make money as a real estate agent investor, including flips, turnkeys, rentals, management, commercial lending, even starting a fund doing private lending and private capital. Please welcome to the A-Gang Podcast, one of the absolute largest turnkey operators, not only in the Cleveland area, but in the entire country. Welcome to the A-Gang Podcast, Kelly Stumphauser. Hey, thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. You have been on my list to get on this uh, show for a long time. Everybody I talk to brings you up as one of the most inspiring and just hardworking and just straightforward people, not only on the business side, but people that know you personally always say what a good person you are to be around. And people seem to go out of their way to bring up how much they like you, how much they respect you and show their loyalty, which I think is awesome because coming from like a place of, you know, usually your friends are out there complaining about their wives or their husbands or something like that. And I find that people that I don't even know, like I was just saying at Masterminds will come up to me and go out of the way to tell me that they work with you because they're so proud to be associated with you. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience today. It's great to finally talk to you. That is the kindest thing. Thank you so much. That means the most, really. Well, you are killing it. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about your story starting out before we go into so many different directions that we could touch on from turnkey to property management, to doing a fund, to your education stuff, to the software. But talk a little bit for people who don't know you about a little bit of your background and how you went from where you were to where you are today. Sure. Um, so you mentioned I was in pharmaceutical sales. I, I did that for a little while. And um, once I had my first child, I, I didn't want to be traveling and I didn't want to be gone you know, from home 40 hours a week. And uh, so I decided to stay home with her, but I'm, I'm pretty type A and um, that didn't work so well. I mean, my mind is pretty overactive. And so immediately I was trying to find something to, to stimulate my brain. And um, I answered an ad in the newspaper, if this tells you how long ago it was, um, there was an investor that was looking for a bird dog. I'm sure most of your audience is familiar with what that is, but it's basically you know, driving for dollars. It's going out and looking at distressed properties and taking notes and trying to, you know, hunt down the, the uh, homeowner and get whatever relevant information the investor needs to potentially purchase the property. So um, back then I, I had purchased my Buick Century from the pharma company I was working with. I would put my daughter in the back seat in her car seat and I would drive the streets of Cleveland and in Lorraine County and I would find distressed properties for this investor. So he was going to pay a nominal fee per house. Um, I pretty much traded that fee for his knowledge and mentorship and borrowed a lot of his training materials that he'd used and paid for over the years um, to learn real estate investing. Um, so I did that for a little while. I started building my own rental portfolio a couple of years later. And when the market really took off in the mid 2000s, I started flipping. Um, by that time, I had had a couple children and they were usually in tow with me and I was pretty much DIY. Um, I would source out like big trade stuff, but the other stuff I would do on my own, you know, painting and caulking and, you know, the smaller jobs. And I would do that with my kids in tow, as I mentioned. Um, and then by the time I had my third child, I had kind of taken a step back. I decided I was gonna my, get my real estate license um, that that might be a little bit easier with with three little kids. And I, I did get my real estate license. And fortunately, um, I went through a divorce. So my kids were two, four and six. And at that time, I was making, I think I made 13 or $14,000 that year. And, you know, suddenly I found myself uh, on my own with with three kids. And I'm like, I've got to take this hobby, and I've got to turn it into a profession. Uh, so I I went out to work for other real estate investors, helping them to purchase distressed properties, sourcing contractors for them, pretty much running the Burr model. 
Um, and at that time we had gone through the foreclosure crisis and properties were, were really inexpensive. And so the majority of the people that I were, was working with were um, foreign. They were buying for cash and, and running that Burr model pretty successfully and was doing huge volume. It was probably buying between 100 and 150 properties a year for these people. You know, fast forward a few years later, I, I opened my my own turnkey company. That was, you know, when the financing came back, I guess that was 2014 or 15 that I opened, opened Prosper. And um, it's been growing ever since. Um, at the beginning of the uh, turnkey company, I was outsourcing management. So I joke, I had two jobs. I was running a turnkey company and then I was managing a management company. And then <laughs> thankfully a couple of years into it, I ended up buying a management company. So now we're all in house. So I think a part of your story that you said that's really important for people to pay attention to is you had a situation where you made a conscious effort to switch and say, this is going to become my livelihood now having three kids and now going through a divorce. Whereas a lot of people would be in that same situation and use that as a crutch of why they can't do more and why they can't put time and effort towards reaching their financial goals. And you used it as more of a springboard to turn it up a notch. And I think that that's a conscious mindset that people have a decision to make that most don't as things pile up and things get harder, they go, well, now I can't do this. And I wish I would have. And they use it as why they can't change their dreams. And I'm always interested is, is that a mindset that you've always had? Or did you feel like you were now in a place that your back was against the wall and you really didn't have a choice but to kind of kick forward? Because a lot of people will use that as, like I said, an excuse to lean back and take their foot off the gas rather than do what you did, which I think separates those that are successful from those that aren't. Yeah, you know, I think at that time, it was really more my back was against the wall. And I really... Um, I didn't fully understand my capabilities at that point, but I knew that I wanted to model uh, certain things for my children. And I I'm definitely do not have a victim mentality. And I, I really didn't have anybody that was going to do it for me. And um, so it started out that way. But I mean, as time has progressed, I've realized that I, I have been the most successful when my back's been against the wall. Um, I use it as a challenge. It's a motivator. And I think it's just life's way of asking us to level up. And I think we're all fully capable of leveling up. We just need to like harness our own power and understand what it is. And, you know, every time you survive uh, the next set of circumstances, um, it just strengthens you for the next, the next challenge and the next time your back's against the wall. So I love that. Now, looking back and, and thinking of that, there was a time where you were pulling $13,000 a year to look what you're doing now. Did you ever think that that was a possibility? And was there anybody, why you started to make that transition for you to look at and model yourself after and say, hey, you know, I, I have this friend, Tim Bratz. I don't know if you know him at that, at that point, but somebody like that where you could say like, they're a normal person, they're in my market, they're doing it. I can do this too. Like, where did you get your confidence to really kick this into gear from? Gosh, if I named all the people that, you know, were behind me cheering, you know, and I would be on this podcast forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have had some wonderful mentorship, um, starting off in the turnkey space, I would say Kathy Fetke, if you're out there listening, I love you. Um, she was just phenomenal. She believed in me. She actually, um, hired me as a provider out in the Cleveland market. Um, uh, Missy McCall, I don't know if you know Missy, um, but she was considered the queen of turnkey is considered the queen of turnkey. Um, she's down in the Cincinnati market. Um, she's probably one of the largest female uh, flippers in the country. She's a wonderful mentor to me. Obviously, you mentioned uh, Tim. Um, there's been so many people, Tim Horvath, if you're out there, and there's so many people that cheered me on. And every time I'm like, oh my gosh, this seems like insurmountable building this business. You know, when, when I got into the turnkey space, a lot of the people that were urging me to do so were like, listen, you have to be able to handle volume right off the rip because there's a huge need. And if you want to be the provider in this area, we need you to commit to a certain uh, volume. And I understood what that was going to take. And, you know, I still had young children at the time and they were my full-time commitment. So yeah, there were a lot of people in my corner that were just reminding me of my, um, my capabilities and there to support me. And, and I never felt like I had competitors. I had people that were willing to lend their experience and their knowledge and and so, you know, I'm trying to do that now for other people. I feel like it's really important to, to pay it forward. And that that's definitely a, a priority of mine. I think that that's awesome. It's a great mindset. And uh, 
some of those names are really impressive. Like Kathy Fecky, mm -hmm. the information she puts out on a weekly basis is incredible. I'm always blown away at like how much information she's putting out there. It's awesome. Yes, she is. She's one of my favorite people. That's cool. Now you, you mentioned that some of the people you were working with, which is interesting to me because for some of the wholesaling stuff, especially like the smaller multifamily and the larger commercial stuff, I get all these people that reach out from like Israel and these countries that I don't even know how they found me, but they're always like, I'm looking for Cleveland. I'm looking for Cleveland. Like there's a lot of yeah. people all across the entire world that are looking to pick stuff up in the Cleveland market. And I know you said that uh, some of them were doing burrs. So kind of a twofold question here. What is it that's so appealing about the Cleveland market to all these investors all over the world? And two, yeah. are you still doing any of the burr stuff or what made you decide to lean more towards turnkey than focus more on the burr method that some of these people you were providing properties to are doing? Sure. Um, so there are advantages to both. Um, as I mentioned, when I was working the Burr model, that was during um, during the foreclosure crisis, and obviously, you know, most foreign investors uh, are having to use cash. And so, in a market when you were able to buy at ten to twenty percent of um, two thousand six uh, values, you know, this is you know two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. Uh, people were buying 10 to 20% of those values. It was very easy to, to, to run the burn model because they were paying cash for their acquisitions and paying cash for uh, the renovations. And, um, you know, the, their all-in cost was, was nominal. Uh, now, obviously, the power of leverage is so strong that the majority of the buyers that we're working with are, are here in the U.S. Um, you know, the advantages to burn uh, beyond basically having built-in equity, especially in a market like Cleveland where the taxes are a little bit higher, is um, you know, being able to take advantage of uh, buying at, a, at a, a lower cost and trying to avoid that huge tax hike. Um, the disadvantages of Burr is that you really are a do-it-yourselfer. So unless you have very trustworthy boots on the ground and those boots on the ground are honest and integrous and have really good systems, you are at risk. Um, so turnkey, as you know, is basically it's a, it's done for you. Um, you're usually buying at market prices, possibly a lower cap rate. Um, my theory is the cap rates are pretty much evened out at the end of the game because uh, in turnkey, generally everything's in house. Um, you're having appraisals, you're having inspections. Um, there's generally more of a process uh, involved with the renovations and a standardization of renovations that the buyer can take advantage of. And you're basically buying when the property is fully renovated and tenant ready or tenanted and cash flowing. Awesome. And you have management in place when they're buying it, or is, is that optional if somebody's going to buy like a turkey property from you if they want to self-manage or is it part of the deal of like, Hey, we're taking this on because this is where this can really go south. I really don't have, many circumstances where people are trying to self-manage because the majority of my buyers are out of state. Um, there are some people that want to work with other property management companies, again, very uncommon, um, which is fine. But you know, I, I think the majority of the people understand that we've designed all of our systems and processes pretty much cohesively. And so you know, they want to have one point of contact. You touched on a couple of really important things that I see there. One of them I've heard you mention in a couple of different interviews that money is lost in the middle. You know, people can buy it right, but then somewhere, whether it's the renovations with the contractor or the stabilization or the leasing up with the management company, there's all these other places along the way where you can run your numbers from the beginning. And then somewhere towards the middle or towards the end, you go, this didn't check out at all to where it was. Look at all these places I ran money. And I think all the stories that people worry about when they go, Hey, I, I want to jump into real estate, but you know, I heard you could lose money in this person. That's what it is. They didn't buy it going, oh, I'm buying it knowing that I'm going to lose my ass on it. They bought it thinking they had a good deal and dropped the ball of the process somewhere in there. So I think yeah. knowing that, I'm surprised that there's not more people out there that are constantly looking for turnkey when they understand what you do to take all of that risk out where that is really, like you said, that's really the most dangerous part of it is the in-between from getting it when you buy it to getting it when it's stabilized and ready to kick out there. And I think a lot of the people that I talk to, they'll say, hey, I want a deal. I want a deal. This is the return I'm looking for. You know, I don't really want a lot of headaches. I don't have a lot of time, but I want something like in an A market that's a value add that I could have as a 10 cap. And I'm like, you, you want everything. Like it's impossible. You, know, you don't want to do anything, but you want all the benefits of doing anything. So what are your conversations like with the people? Like, are they, are they a lot of people that maybe have tried this on their own 
and then gone back to you and said like, Hey, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I need somebody like you who's already got a proven track record. Or are you having a lot of talks with people that come up with an unrealistic expectation of what type of return they want in those markets? So uh, the management company, we've got close to a thousand units under management and they are not all my turnkey properties. So I do have those conversations with people who have brought properties over from either other quote unquote turnkey providers, right? That's a very loose term. Um, or people that have tried the Burr method and have gotten burnt. And um, you know, that, that's the conversation I'm kind of having with people about, okay, you know, when you purchased the property, like what did you know about the area? What was the level of rehab? Um, you know, who do you have handling the city issues? Who vetted the tenants? Um, you know, all the things that, that go into this. There's so many nuances and so many details to this business that I think it, people just aren't aware of until after the fact. Um, but for the people that come to me to buy turnkey, you know, I, it, this is what it is. These are the cap rates at which we're selling. This is how we identify our properties. These are, you know, this is historic data. Um, these are our processes. These are our services. And uh, most of the people come to us pretty well educated on the turnkey model. Um, the advantage obviously now as you know, versus when I started is just like all the free education that's out there. I mean, look at people can tune into you and listen to this and, and gain years worth of experience in a half hour, 45 minute podcast. So I always encourage people to, um, to educate themselves as much as possible before making a purchase, whether it's through a turnkey provider or a burp provider and understand that market, understand who you're working with. Most of all, you know, what's their level of experience. There's a lot of people that are, they look at this industry as, as a get rich quick industry. It's, it's not, I mean, you've got to get your, your butt kicked a bunch of times to understand not only what to do, but more importantly, what not to do. So you've got to be working with people that have that level of experience can protect you. I think that that's by far the most valuable thing that I have learned and picked up. I'm always trying to figure out, like, I, I don't need to see the car. I don't need to see the house. I, I need to see like, what did you do wrong? What, what would I, what am I not asking you that I would have missed if I jumped in and did this? Cause I really want to see what are the things that people aren't talking about? What are the things that do go wrong when you're actually doing this stuff that you can't read out of a book? So being that you've talked to a bunch of people and done this so long, mm -hmm. being a turnkey provider, what are some of the pitfalls and the mistakes that people make when trying to get a property like you said, in a cash flowing market and bring it from the point of a distressed asset to something that's now fixed up to market standard, rented out management and something that you would sell off to an investor. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, or fix and fix, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and fix, cash flow, multifamily, figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals go to www.nicknicknick.com go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels if you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links you'll see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together make it happen everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner best time to start is today you know, in our market specifically, and a lot of the Midwest markets, you know, our um, our inventory is very old, um, and so 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 much of the pitfalls are in the condition of the property um, and in the renovation. It's uh, very important to do proper due diligence. You have to understand where it is that you're buying. People will spit out rent rates to you. you better make sure that they understand what those rent rates are. And that those rent rates are commensurate with the condition of the property. Um, here in our market, you can be literally, you can be on the same street and you can have a three bedroom, one bath home that rents for $950, and you can have another one that rents for $1350. What's the difference? It's the condition of the property. Does it have AC? Does it have a brand new kitchen? Does it have an extra, you know, bathroom or a dining room? Like all those little details will make the difference of three, four hundred dollars a month in cash flow. So it's proper due diligence uh, on rent rates on area, it's working with either someone that is going to oversee the contracting for you. Um, 
or making sure that you're aligning with people that are trustworthy. I've lost so much money uh, in that arena. You really need to understand um, the rehab. So that that's all like assessment from the beginning, standardization, you know, what you're gonna, what you're gonna be replacing, what you're gonna be repairing, what you're gonna be um, you know, leaving for the next tenant cycle. Um, what else? It's understanding, you know, here especially we have a lot of city intervention on our properties. We have a point of sale, we have city inspections, all those things can add to your costs in operating the property. So it's important to know those things up front so that you can plan for it. You can make it a part of your renovation or you can put money aside um, that you're handling that as it comes up. You know, that's a huge piece is the, the renovations of it, I think are always very interesting because people always think that it's so easy to get somebody in to come. Oh, I talked to a contractor. He's a brother's friend's roommate. He's going to come <laughs> in and fix the place up. And I'm like, look, I don't know anybody that has a problem getting a contractor in. It's getting them to finish. Like how many of those guys actually come in Say what you know. It's, it's the first date, but it's not the relationship there. And I heard you say that you used to go in and do like some of the caulking and some of the side jobs yeah. in there. How did you learn that process so well? Because like, if I could go back and pick a trade to be like, this is what I'm going to learn more of in my younger years of this, I definitely would have learned more of the ins and outs of the construction process, knowing what uh, a risk it is now when you don't understand how to manage that properly. Yeah, I didn't know much back then. And, <laughs> you know, as with a lot of things in my career, I've had to learn the hard way. You know, I always say experience is painful and expensive um, or expensive and or both. Um, and so for me on the contracting side, it's just taken getting kicked in the teeth a number of times before. And I'm still learning, right? I'm still learning. But it's about properly vetting people. It's about doing due diligence and background checks on people. It's about getting them on the correct contracts being added to their insurance, having some method for inspecting in between draws and, you know, controlling material costs and not giving out too much money. And, and um, you know, I, I find that there's a lot of people, I'm surprised at how many people are out there flipping homes without any of those processes in place. Um, you know, as I've said, I've had to learn the hard way. So, um, None of those things can be ignored. And you know, it's really hard in this market right now because everybody's busy. The market's been on fire for a while and a lot of the good people are taken. They're busy working on other people's stuff. And there's of course, brand new contractors all the time that are thrilled <laughs> to get into the game. You just don't want them to cut their teeth on your project, so. So what does it look like for you as far as your team for turnkey? Um, not only, I mean, I'm like the whole picture, but then especially how often are you communicating with the, with the properties? Do you have cameras in there that you watch them on a daily basis? Do you have a management or a, like a project manager that's doing rounds on a daily or weekly basis? Like, how often are you checking in to check the progress and make sure that these things are on track? Well, we check progress before any draws are, are given out. That's kind of the process of a lot of properties under construction right now. We're actually in the process of trying to hire another project manager. Um, but I have really reliable contractors, some of which I've had uh, relationships with for, for many years. Uh, those relationships I value very highly. We're obviously always hiring, but you know I have some contractors that are working five, six, seven houses at a time. Um, when we typically will start out a new contractor, they're just on one job and we wanna make sure that they take a project all the way through completion and uh, before they even start a project that they understand you know, what our system is, what our standards are, what we expect. We walk through the contract with them. They understand our whole process for draws and inspections and final walkthrough. Um, we make sure that we do uh, proper due diligence so that we're not bringing anybody into the fold that we're going to have problems uh, with. We've, <laughs> we've had enough of that. So uh, what does it look like as far as staffing? I have acquisitions, um, people that are, they're bringing the deals in. I have someone that works off market, and then I've got two licensed agents that work with wholesalers and also work with MLS deals. Um, I have someone in estimating. So that person is the one that's gone out and um, you know, looking at the rehab numbers and coming back in, I have a QC process for deals that are coming in, assumptions that were you know, being made on renovations versus the actual costs. Um, I have a project manager, hopefully soon to be two project managers, um, lots of people backing up in the back office, pretty robust management staff now with almost a thousand, um, thousand units. And then I have uh, dispo sales reps as well. That's incredible. On the acquisition side, are you doing a lot of like the same direct to market or direct to seller type of stuff? Like, you know, doing 
cold calling, RVM, direct mail? Like what kind of marketing channels are you using for acquisitions? So believe it or not, all the years that I've been, I've been at this, I haven't had a direct to seller division. Um, oh. I have mostly worked through wholesalers and MLS. I know it sounds crazy. That's when I look back, how much I've, <laughs> I've spent in wholesale fees, but you know, <laughs> there's always just been such good deal flow in our market. I know people will be surprised to hear that because, you know, the market's been so tight in other areas for so long. There's always been such good deal flow. Um, and we've always been able to feed the machine. Uh, recently I partnered up with somebody, so I'm doing a joint venture on, um, direct seller. I have a lot of stuff going on. So I'm like, it's, you know, one less thing that I have to do. Um, so they actually already have, they're outside the area, um, but they already have um, offshore set up. So we're basically helping to fund the lists and they already have people offshore that have scripts and are doing outbound calling. And then we are having them plug into our software so they can dump leads in. And then my direct to seller um, acquisition specialist here can follow up on all those leads. That's awesome. On the, uh, on the disposition side, are mm -hmm. you backing into these deals knowing exactly this one would be a flip, this is one I'd hold, this is one I can refi out, or is there specific hedge funds that you model it towards? These are kind of my A buyers, and I know if I can get it around this return and this price point, I can sell it. Like, What does it look like to figure out if a deal's a deal and then figuring out like specific buyers or you just blast it out to everybody and it's first come, first serve? So there's several exits, as you mentioned, there's, there's buy and hold, uh, there's turnkey, we have flip and we actually do Airbnb now as well. Um, nice. that's been really popular with our buyers. Um, and I obviously have everything spec'd out, you know, from a rehab and from a material, uh, standpoint. Uh, so yeah, we go in underwriting to different scenarios and we pick the highest and best outcome. Um, my dispo reps, uh, they work with our turnkey buyers for which, you know, we're grateful there, there are more buyers than there are, you know, available properties, uh, but they're working with the buyers on the turnkey side and, you know, on the Airbnb side. Um, I obviously handle all the buy and hold stuff and then flips, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, we, we put a lot into the system it was one of the mistakes I'd say I made um, this past year, we put a lot of um, flips into the system and always makes me nervous because I've been through a couple market cycles now. And you know, not that I think anything's going to change anytime soon, but I don't like to have a pipeline full of, you know, high exposure deals. So I've really taken my foot off the gas pedal on the retail side and I'm focusing on, on turnkey and Airbnb and buy and hold. I love that. And I, I think your market is a great example of a market that can survive a recession because of that. You know, from yeah. what I understand, you didn't take too big a dip and you didn't take too big a gain. And a lot of times those Midwest markets, that's why people like them because if you're buying them more for the cash flow and the return, than you are for like the equity in it initially, you can have those as long as you, like you said, they're in stable markets that the people are going to stay in there. That's a good long-term play where I think people, people lose sight of the fact that maybe the initial month to month isn't as sexy upfront, but if you're looking for like a three, five, 10 year plan, I love what you're doing because that's the stuff where I see guys now that bought stuff 10 years ago when everybody's worrying about like what's happening with, with the pandemic and what am I going to do next? They're like, I don't care. I have so much walking around money coming in. Like I just had a conversation with my buddy who owns stuff all over the country. He's been doing it for decades. Mm -hmm. And he's, he was like, I, I lost like $20,000 over the point of this entire thing for my whole portfolio for people that weren't able to pay during COVID. It's like it barely affected me and I can still do whatever I want. So I am very interested in what your perspective is on like the transactional money versus the generational wealth and the stuff that's really going to pay off in the three to five to 10 year term. Cause I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of these big hedge fund buyers and the people that buy turnkey from you, it's, it's meant more for a long term. You know, they're not going to turn around in a year and try and sell these and make, you know, 20, 30% on them. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I first started in this business, people were like, I don't understand why would somebody buy in Cleveland? You know, I mean, they're, me, they were accustomed to these prime markets, sexier markets. And it's, it's nice now to have a decade long kind of historic, uh, historic trends that, you know, we've experienced. Um, our rent rates have always been commensurately high with purchase prices. So even when we went through the crash, our rent rates were, you know, two and a half, two and a half percent. 
I mean, now we're at 1%. That's still great, right? That's what you're looking for. Typically, that's an investor rule of thumb. We're one to one and a half percent, whereas before they were two and a half percent, right? But um, while the while the material, I'm sorry, while the purchase prices have gone up and they've gone down, the rents have always stayed commensurately high. So um, as far as the general generational wealth thing, I think it's why, so I was buying multifamily for a while. I, I do have a multifamily portfolio. I sold a lot of the smaller stuff this past year, just because the prices were so high that it was stupid not to. Um, but I am making a conscious effort to hold. Um, whereas before I had gotten out of the resi buy and hold, I'm starting to hold more and more because, you know, being in the turnkey game, you're putting all this this effort into the acquisitions, into the renovation, into the the dispo, and you're creating all kinds of taxable income for yourself. And uh, I don't know. I I've decided that I want to hedge against that as much as possible cherry picking and, and holding the best assets, some back holding single family, back holding some small multifamily. And we'll see what, you know, what ends up happening with that. I don't think the turnkey model is going to go anywhere. I think people are going to have um, an appetite for it for years to come. And I think that markets like ours have proven to be tried and true. I mean, there's a lot of other markets that have completely dried up. You can't get any yield in them whatsoever. And, uh, you know, the Midwest, that's not the case. So. I love the idea of turnkey because I do remember in the last crash when a lot of the people that are out there right now, they didn't invest through a crash yet. So they're doing good when it's very easy to do good because the real estate's very forgiving. But I remember when everything toppled over last time and there was so many people that were stashing around cash waiting for that. And that turnkey model became an amazing place to be because you could still flip properties to cash flow investors, especially international ones. Like I've been doing a lot of reading on Canada and how their market's like about to tumble and people are pulling cash out and they're going to be looking to place it into US real estate. So I feel like having like stuff like that, even if the market goes down, there's going to be guys with so much cash that have lived through this type of cycle already. And they know that, okay, things are down, real estate's on sale. I'm going to buy a bunch of it because I know when the news starts saying it's good again, and things come back in three to five years, they're still going to cash flow. But now I can turn around and sell them the people that are feel comfortable, get back in. It's, it's really that, that whole cliche of like the opposite trends of being like fearful and greedy. I just, I, yeah. I think it's so smart. And I, I love, again, the, you're making money now, but you're also making money later, which I haven't talked to anybody over the last six to 12 months that didn't turn around now and say like, I wish I didn't sell those properties off a year ago, oh, five yeah. years ago, 10 years ago, everybody wishes they had them now. Yeah. I had a post not that long ago and I was talking about um, my, my experience with this and the years that I worked with the hedge fund buyers and how, you know, people tend to go into a market after the word is out, after the market mm -hmm. has shifted and they're trying to set up, right. They have to figure out who they're going to work with, who they're going to buy from, and I think it behooves people now to figure out what is the next step. Um, is the market going to shift? And if it does, where are you going to invest? And to take the time to understand that market and to figure out who it is that you're going to work with in that market, whether you're going to DIY and do a burr model or you're going to do turnkey, um, to identify those markets and learn them and understand who your contacts are going to be so that you can be ready when the market shifts. Yeah, you know, certainly don't want to be first in the area, but you don't want to be last either. So I think it's important to it's important to be um, prepared. You know, speaking of um, misconceptions on markets, Cleveland is one of the biggest sleeper markets. Every time I go out there, I have an amazing time. I was just talking to Paul Vincent about this, but we went out there. I went to the All-Star Game. The stadium was incredible. I had a great time there. We went yeah. out downtown. We went out to for drinks. We went to the comedy club. When we came yeah. out of the comedy club, the whole street was like closed off and people were just hanging out and park uh, and partying. The cost of living was like great. Like I had such a good time that when we were leaving, I was like, you know, if I ever need to just really relocate and like lower my cost of living, this is a place I could actually like live in and stay in. You know, you say it to people who don't realize, but there's so many cool places around the country like that to live in. And I think Cleveland is one of those ones that people really aren't aware of what a great city it actually is. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of misconceptions that have been changed in recent years. I think that that's true of a lot of Midwest cities. Um, I think there are a lot of people that live in high tax areas um, that have 
changed their mentality. And certainly with COVID, with people being able to work remotely, um, I know there are a lot of people that came back to this op- this area because maybe they have you know family in the area or like you said, they just want a lower cost of living. As long as you don't mind 30 degree temps, it's a great place <laughs> to be. I tend to want to fly south when it gets cold, but yeah, otherwise it's, it is, um, it's a great place to live. Well, for, for living in a cold climate like I'm in right now, you have a way better tan than I do with the, the 20 degrees <laughs> outside it is right now. So maybe it is, it is a little better. Yeah. So on the management side now, this is another thing that, you know, on the, on the flip side, I'm always telling people like, be careful, contractors, 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 but people that deal with rentals, management almost becomes the thing where if you have a, you could have a good property, but if you have a bad management company or you don't set up good expectations or have good communication and systems with them, it's going to turn into a nightmare. So the fact that you've mastered this, I'd love to hear on, on what makes a good management company, but also for somebody like myself or people listening how can we be better clients to management companies? Because everybody's always looking to point the finger. It's the contractor, it's the management, it's this, it's that, but they don't take enough insight to look in and see like, well, what, what parts are really my responsibility? What can I do better to, to maybe bridge some of these gaps and come to the plate with like a good foot forward to really make this something that's beneficial so they stay on and I do become a priority? That is such a good point and not enough people talk about that. Um, I think that, you know, property management is, it's, it's a tough business and it's a thankless job because if you think about it, if your tenant's happy, your owner's ticked. And if your owner's happy, then the tenant's usually ticked. And, and, you know, you're in the middle of it, trying to provide good service to both parties and keep a property compliant and make sure somebody's not putting their rent in escrow. Um, it's a, it's a tough job. And so, uh, I will tell you, I've bought two property management companies now, And uh, one of the first things that we do is we evaluate the portfolio that's under management. And it's not just the property, it's the owner. And, you know, it's, it's having the conversation with the owner of, you know, these, this is our role. These are our responsibilities. And if your property is not at a certain standard, then you can expect all of these issues. And so we need to have your compliance in bringing your property up to a specific standard and in communication and your willingness to invest in the property and the process overall. Otherwise, we're just not gonna be a good fit for one another. Um, there are people that unfortunately, as I mentioned before with my you know, turnkey provider in air quotes here, um, you know, they've been sold a bag of goods. They come into our market, somebody tells them, you know, hey, I can buy you this property for 20,000 bucks and the rehab is only uh, 10 grand. And um, at, by the way, I've, done, you know, over a thousand properties now, and I've yet to meet a $20,000 property with needing 10,000 in, in rehab, but I can't tell you how often I see it. And, you know, they tell me, hey, we're going to rent it. We're going to get a subsidized rent and it's going to be X and your return's going to be 12% and leverage. It's going to be 22 and yeah, you're off to the races. And that's just, uh, it's a false narrative. And then it falls into the property management company's lap and you have an angry tenant who has all kinds of repairs and they want to put money in escrow and you have project managers that are coming back to this poor owner saying, Hey, listen, you know, this is, these are all the things that are wrong with your property. You're going to need to invest another $15,000 to get it up to, you know, a proper market standard rent standard. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that was a really important point that you made, you know, how can you be a good client? You need to understand that, um, well, hopefully one, you're, you're vetting the property management company. And again, it's just like with a turnkey provider or a burp provider, what is the experience level? What's the staff look like? What is their systems? Are they licensed? Um, in many states, you have to be affiliated with a broker or be a broker to uh, offer property management services. I can't believe how many people are out there advertising property management services that are not a licensed brokerage. It's literally illegal. You end up in court it's going to be really hard to, you know, um, properly represent your, your clients because you're not licensed. So one, it's vetting and two, it's being a part of that interactive process and being able to invest in your being willing to invest in your property so that you have a good outcome. I love that. You know, I think two big takeaways there. One, I recently sold off a a 10 unit to another investor and I, I went and I, I took it from nothing. I stabilized it up. I went through a couple of management companies in a pretty short period, because one thing I say a lot on this is, is the, the problems don't go away. 
from when I started to where I am now, but I'm a lot quicker at saying like, this is going to be an issue. I'm not going to wait till it's six months and my life is miserable. I'm going to put a stop to this, you know, three, four days in, I already know where this is going. So it's a quicker turnover. You, you, you get it when it's less of a, a major problem and more of just a little one. But I remember I, I sent an email to the guy who bought it and I was like, look, here's the key to this property having a hot, happy property management. So if you want to keep making money on this property, you do whatever you need within reason to keep your property manager happy because she's gone in. They love her. They trust her. Like she knows the property. And of course he didn't and looked at the, the property manager as almost like a, a car mechanic. They just want me to do this because they want X, Y, and Z money. And then the property tanked fast. Like, and I think on the multi-unit side, especially that problem that people worry about on the single family could be exponentially worse by 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 units. And you have one person there that's supposed to have your back as that intermediary. And if you don't keep them happy and treat them right, it's going to be really, really freaking expensive. And it's maybe something you can't fix. I could not agree more, but you know, and I, and I will now defend property owners. And I talk to the management company about this all the time. You know, your fiduciary responsibility is to, is to, back up their investment. And so while it's important as a property owner to invest in the property and to interact with the property management company, I think it also really behooves people to understand what's the infrastructure of that property management company. Do they have in-house maintenance? Um, who are they contracting out to? What does the project management services look like? Because it's very easy too to get nickel and dimed. <laughs> um, if you don't have a proper process in-house for vetting tenant complaints, um, you could very easily be paying for tenant-caused issues inside of your own home. And so for everything, there's, you know, there's more systems, there's more processes, there's, you know, hopefully really reliable staff uh, that are ensuring that those things go, go off uh, accordingly. But I see it on both sides. And so that's why due diligence and hiring the right the right management company is so important. I agree. And you also touched on people looking at these and going, oh, I'm going to get a, a 22 cap on this property. And yeah. then they realized that they actually made no money on it because they bought it in a crap area. And there's a misconception out there that cheaper is better. And they go, well, how could I possibly lose money if I buy a property for $10,000? And it's like, you have, you have no idea. Like, so that that's something I do battle when I go to sell off properties or or even portfolios or multifamilies, they go, well, somebody else sent me something and it's like a 17 cap. And I'm like, well, where <laughs> is it? And it's like in a D neighborhood. And it's like, yeah, yeah. you're never, the, the amount of, you're looking for less headaches. You don't have the time to put in. And now you want to pick up something that's going to be really, really heavy labor intensive for you, for your stress level, for your wallet, for everything. Like that's not a realistic return. That's a non-performing asset. Do you have to have those conversations with people a lot where they're comparing something that's in a garbage neighborhood or really an underperforming property to some of the stuff in better areas that you're doing that you've actually fixed them up the right way and screen people the right way? I used to, I mean, I, I really don't anymore. And we don't, you know, we just choose not to, to manage in certain areas, it's not effective in those areas. Um, people hear me talk a lot about, you know, my experience and so much of what I've done, I've done on my own dollar. Um, so when I started, I started in CD areas, like that's where I owned and I self-managed. So that's how I cut my teeth. Um, you know, fast forward all these years, I buy in A and B markets and what I call path of progress areas. So they're usually transitioning areas where, you know, if you're on city data or whatever, it's, it's kind of confusing. The values can be like all over the board in terms of um, property values and rent values. Um, but we have at least enough historic data to know where it's trending and or we bought there first. So I own and operate and have tested the rent rates and have tested the resale rates. Um, those are my favorite areas because, you know, most people can realize some decent appreciation, um, both rent and uh, property value wise. But I don't really have to have those conversations anymore. Mm -hmm. I think most of the people that come to us and through us uh, understand that, you know, we've been at this for a while. And so what we say is hopefully is, is valuable and they, they buy in. That's awesome. One of the things I heard you say that I actually never really put much thought into that I thought was really smart was you talked about how a lot of the people that come to you to buy turnkey properties, you wind up turning into private lenders. I'm, I'm very interested to see how do you structure the private lending for you, for your single family buy and holds? Sure. So, you know, when I got started, uh, you know, I did not have private lenders lined up. I was, uh, 
you know, doing a lot of joint ventures. So lots of work for half the profit, but I had to do that a few times to establish that I was a trustworthy person to work with. Um, after that, I was able to, you know, convert some of those joint venture partners into private lenders and then, you know, just build a, um, you know, historicals that people could understand that I was executing. Fast forward, I don't even know, a thousand loans. Um, people understand the benefits because even if you're buying turnkey and you've got a great management company, you still have to be involved in your investment, you know, in the short term and the long term. There's still a property owner. You've got to put money in. You've got to, you've got to interact with the property management company. You've got to be making decisions. And so uh, what I see is people want to diversify. Um, they like to do a little private lending and they like to own property or they decide they're going to go from owning property and then just come over to the private lending side and be completely passive. I'm really lucky now um, I have access to a lot of capital. So I work with you know, several private lenders, but I also have a pretty substantial line of credit um, that came to me just because of all the loans that I've done over time. And, um, you know, my partner in that, are, they're uh, very passionate about the city of Cleveland and in helping me do what I do. Uh, so I'm very lucky to have access to, to good private money. And I like to think that our private lenders are happy because we're turning their capital and all they need to do is wire in and out and, um, you know, answer a couple questions for the title company. And it's been, a, it's been a good process. Do you keep them in for like a three to five year? Or are you getting them in to stabilize the property and then refinance out for like a long-term conventional loan? So all the private lenders are simply on the front end. Um, you know, we do 12 month promissory notes, but we try to get in and out of the turnkey in 90 to 120 days. Some of them take a little longer. The flips will take a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, we have a pretty cool system uh, that works in with our underwriting and our software so that uh, people can rotate in and out of loans and just compound. That's awesome. So sp speaking of softwares and all the stuff you're doing now, <laughs> I've heard you talk about softwares you're coming up with, stuff you're using that you're potentially going to be putting out there, doing some educational stuff to teach people really how to scale up their business. Obviously, you're selling turnkey, you're taking on management stuff. Talk about things that you're working on that, that's exciting for you. Like, what are you getting into? What's keeping yeah. you motivated? Yeah, um, gosh, there's. I feel like there's so much. And there's so many <laughs> things that are just kind of like a spinoff, like my, you know, this is my ancillary business. And there's so many like verticals that come off of it that I think it's just, you know, capitalizing uh, now at this point. So the software just kind of came to be, and it's still in development. Um, I, we've, we've spent a lot of time on our SOPs and our workflows. Um, as I mentioned, there's just so many details to this business through acquisitions, renovation, disposition. And um, we've had a software system being developed for us that has basically built out all of those tasks. I look at the business, any business really, like anything that requires critical thinking, um, you know, you should have staff that's involved with. Anything that's uh, repetitive or mundane either needs to be automated or taken offshore or both. And so that's kind of how we design the software system. Anything that's repetitive in nature has been built out in the software to be automated. And anything that requires critical thinking you know, I have a manager, I have someone on staff that's handling it. Um, so it's pretty cool. I Right now I can bring a hundred users onto my platform. Uh, right now it's all internal. We're kind of still testing out all the uh, systems. I actually have somebody in the other room right now that's on the phone with the software engineers and we're working out all the kinks. Um, I'm hopeful that eventually we'll be able to bring other users onto the system. So I'll be able to help fund uh, other providers and take them through our system. So that maybe if they don't have those processes in place, um, they can leverage ours. And we might even be able to help them on the dispo side with their inventory. Um, Long-term goal would be to white label and sell it. Um, but that's, you know, that's further out than I would have hoped. <laughs> There's so many details that go into the, the software stuff that I'm learning as I go. That's cool. And now uh, are you still looking to do the education and consulting side of stuff? Yeah, we're launching that soon. We're actually in the process of launching it right now. Um, you know, again, it's, just, it's what I do day in and day out. And now just taking it out to people. I've had people asking me for years and um, how to do what I do. And, and I want to help, but it's really hard when you're, you know, this busy to help people like on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So 
Um, we've been building out the curriculum for quite some time. Um, and But we're launching that probably within the next two weeks. So I'm really excited about that. That is awesome. Well, I'm definitely shooting me over to links for that because I'll put it in the show notes. And I'll make sure before this goes out, I, I put something in, in the beginning for people to look out for that. And again, if you're going to learn from somebody, I, I the, some of the most respected and big names out there in the business constantly are bringing up how impressed they are with you. So I just, you know, I, you get nothing but respect across the board. So if there's somebody that's looking to learn from one of the best operators in the entire country, definitely look at the show notes for this episode and check out what Kelly has to offer. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan Lamont. Dan Lamont has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. You can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833 632 0585 for your free online drum lesson. Definitely. Well, you, you've been awesome. I don't want to take up your whole day. I know you got a ton of stuff to do. Um, I like to call this the victory lap and just hit you with a couple of final questions before we let you go. One of the first questions being, do you have a favorite quote? Oh gosh, do I have a favorite quote? <laughs> I, I love, there's a Marianne Williamson quote that I love and it's, uh, I might butcher it, but it's something like our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate. It's that we're powerful beyond measure. I love that. I think you live that too. Awesome. What's one of your favorite books? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, I, I consider myself an avid reader and a lifelong learner. And um, I'm always, uh, I've actually been using that Blinkist a lot. I don't know if you use that. I don't have a lot of time anymore to like pull the book or, you know, get through an entire one. But um, I often find myself like scrubbing social media, people post like what they're reading and I'm just making notes all the time on my phone. And then I'm listening to them in 15 minutes on Blinkist, which I love. Nice. Um, I have to say, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was part of my beginning and it was so influential. And I think it's influenced so many investors that I know. Um, that's gotta be one of my favorites. It definitely transformed my mindset from, um, being an employee to being an entrepreneur and, you know, um, buying assets. And so I'd have to say that's probably number one on the, on the real estate investment side, at least. That's the one that did it for me. That shifted my mindset completely. So it's a good choice right there. A last yeah. one for you is what is one of your biggest mistakes as a real estate investor over the years? Oh my gosh. Trusting the wrong people, trusting the wrong people. I think, um, you know, People's experience really matters um, more than anything. It's what people do with their experience that matters the most. And um, I really choose to align myself with people with integrity. And as you know, um, unfortunately, that can be uncommon in this business. I don't know why that is, um, but it can be uncommon. So I think my biggest mistake has been trusting the wrong people. And now I vet them, not just on their experience, but on their character and their values. So I second that. It's been a huge uh, money coster of me over the years is putting trust yeah. and faith into people that probably shouldn't have. So very, very wise words. Uh, last and certainly not least, how do people find you, work with you, Prosper Investments, KW Greater Metro Management, Kelly on social media, talk about all the ways people can find you and connect with you in your businesses. Yeah, sure. On social media, obviously, my personal name. Uh, the name of the turnkey company is Prosper Investments. Anyone can sign up there to be a lender, to be a buyer. Um, if you want to connect with me by email, I'm Kelly, K-E-L-O-Y, at prosperinvestments.com. That is awesome. So this has been, again, you're, you're one of the guests that I've wanted on since the first <laughs> podcast that I started with this. You, Everybody talks about what, how great you are. I think you're extremely impressive. I thought all the stuff you covered on this 
were huge. I could have talked to you for hours, but I know you're very busy and I, I very much appreciate you giving us your time and your experience today. So thank you for coming on and being so nice. Is there anything you'd like to share before we let you go for the day? No, I just appreciate being on and it's nice to finally meet you and talk to you. And I appreciate all the kind words. They mean a lot. Definitely. Well, you're an inspiration. I'm going to keep watching you. Anybody who wants to connect all those places, definitely check out the show notes for her. Plus the courses you can directly go to there. You definitely bring your A game. It was an absolute blast talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Kelly Stump has a great day. Thanks, Nick. So what's it feel like to 